Hello, everyone. Welcome to our listeners in the Big Apple from across the U.S. and around the world. I'm Jeff Goodman, and this is Rediscovering New York. Professionally, I'm a real estate broker with Halstead Real Estate, and I love New York. Rediscovering New York is a weekly program about the history, texture, and vibe of our amazing city. And we do it through interviews with historians, local business owners, nonprofit organizations, preservationists, local musicians and artists, and the occasional elected official. On some shows, we focus on an individual New York neighborhood, exploring its history and its current energy. What makes that particular New York neighborhood special? And sometimes, like tonight, we host shows about an interesting and vital color of the city and its history that's not focused on one particular neighborhood. On prior episodes, you've heard topics that we've covered as diverse as American presidents who lived in or came from New York. We've talked about the history of women activists and the women's suffrage movement in the city. We've talked about African-American history going back to the time of the Dutch. And we've also talked about the history of the city's LGBT rights movement. We've explored the history of bicycles and cycling, the history of punk and opera, and even taken a look at the city's greatest train stations and even a few of its bridges. After the broadcast, each show is available on podcast. You can hear us on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and other services. Tonight, we are having a special episode and covering something that is dear to my heart and uh, the foundations of which are not always apparent in the life of the city, but really are one of the foundations of what makes New York the great place that it is. And I'm talking about its public library systems. Um, we actually have three of them, believe it or not. Uh, we have the New York Public Library, the Brooklyn Public Library, and we have the Queens Public Library. Tonight, we're going to speak with uh, two guests. Uh, we couldn't do all three library systems, but we're going to be doing the New York Public Library and the Brooklyn Public Library. Our first guest is Keith Gluting of the New York Public Library. Keith grew up spending the best moments of his childhood in a public library, poring over encyclopedia, gazetteers, and news magazines. As a young student, he turned to art and music as hobbies, but never abandoned the open-ended pursuit of new ideas and vocations that he could find in the library, a man unto my own heart. Later in his studies, he found himself in museums whenever possible. With his background, it's no surprise that Keith has spent his career in art institutions and libraries. In addition to his commitment to the kinds of institutions Keith believes strongly in, he also supports the benefits and critical thinking and firm adhering to mission statements and core values of these institutions. Keith Gluting, a hearty welcome to Rediscovering New York. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks for inviting me. Are you originally from our fine city? I'm not, but close by. I grew up in Ocean County, uh, parents from Philly and Newark. So I spent my childhood visiting both cities, and I'm still very connected to both. And I've lived in New York City, in New York County, even um, since 1982. So I'm a sort of New Yorker. <laughs> well, I also grew up, I, you grew up by the ocean, which is also really very special to be in the metropolitan area and have the sea. I grew up in Manhattan Beach, so, you know, I, that's the one thing I miss about where I live uptown. You and I live near each other now that, uh, you know, I don't have that sea air all the time. Yes. Um, what were the inspirations? Oh, by the way, uh, Keith is the manager of the Volunteer Visitor Program at the New York Public Library. Um, Keith, what were the inspirations that, that had you decide to go into the work that you do? Uh, 
long. Um, the work of the library specifically, I, I, I've been at the Metropolitan Museum at the Cloisters for 33 years. I more or less invented their visitor services department. And I had studied art history initially, um, got involved with the Met because of that. But I found it, on a temporary basis, I got a visitor services job. And I realized that there was a lot more to this experience in visiting museums than curatorship. Um, and I got a library degree halfway through that and worked at the New York Public Library. I volunteered in the map division and I became a docent. Um, someone had asked me, um, we needed we needed new docents. You've spoken before and I, I had and I enjoyed it. And um, so that, that was 2000 four or five when I started doing that to help out while I was still working at the museum. What so I you worked, so, so you worked at, you were at the cloisters and then took on the position of docent at the, at the library. At the, at yeah, the I was building. at both um, here. I, I don't move very much. I worked for the cloisters and volunteered at the, uh, the central library, the Schwartzman building of the New York public library. And now I'm working full time at the library and I volunteer in the gardens at the cloisters. So I just did a, a, a switcheroo. There. <laughs> your old switcheroo. Well, both places are phenomenal. I, I want to ask you, um, how did you get your position at the cloisters? And also what were some of, your favorite things about when you worked at the cloisters and now even that you, that you work in the gardens there? Well, I really went there on a temporary basis when I came to New York from Philadelphia, um, where I started my uh, adult life. And I, I thought that would be momentary. And I, I realized this could become a career and it did. And the operations of the museums is what I really learned uh, aside from art history and aside from that. And the cloisters also is a garden. And I became really in love with that aspect of it. So well, this isn't a show about the cloisters, but one of the things I'd love about the cloisters and the garden uh, is the herb garden on the side, you know, sure. with, uh, uh, the herbs that monks would have grown in monasteries, uh, probably uh, in gardens of some of the same. Sure. There are about 250 species of herbs in that garden. Wow. Let's move on to the library. When did the New York Public Library actually get its start? Okay, that's a complicated question. Um, I love Let's asking go. complicated questions. Do yeah, sure. Um, so we'll go in Astor Hall, the great hall you enter in the, the uh, Central Library or the Schwartzman Building today. You'll see names on the wall, and it starts with 1848. And what that means is that is when John Jacob Astor died and left money in his will for a library, which would become the Astor Library. The Astor Library building opened in 1854. It's on Lafayette. It is now the public theater. Many people know it as the public theater, but it, be, it was the Astor Library originally. And that is where the New York Public Library had its first offices and opened and stored its collections before the library on Fifth Avenue was built. When um, the New York Public Library actually, when it was formed, was it was a, a compendium of a number of libraries. How when did when did the Lennox Library start? Lennox Library is interesting. Um, James Lennox, heir to a great fortune, and I've done great research on him, so I could go into detail another time about that. But he lived in that area, the Fifteenth Ward, near where the Astor Library was, 
New York Historical Society was there, NYU was new, Cooper Union, all of the, that was the center of New York before the Civil War. And um, Lennox was very close by. He was a collector of books and art. He would lend books people wanted to the Astor Library so they could see them and they didn't bother him in his home. And eventually, um, you may have heard of Lennox Hill. His father amassed the land from 68th to 74th, a little inside what's now Central Park, to 4th Avenue, which is now Park, and told him to sit on that and only develop it later. And so he and his sister did. And they, they already had a great fortune. They made more. They essentially invented the Upper East Side. That building would house his collection, the Astor Library, by Richard Morris Hunt, 70th Street and 5th Avenue, on the site of the Frick Collection today, top of the, of the hill. How did the New York Public Library come to, into being as an institution? Well, both Astor and Lennox libraries um, had some financial problems near the end of the 19th century. You know, the Panic of 1893 was very devastating to many institutions in New York. Um, and so, you know, our, our name is the New York Public Library Astor, Lennox, and Tilden Foundation. So there's the Astor and Lennox libraries, the collections, and the Tilden Trust. Samuel Jones Tilden um, was governor of New York, unsuccessful candidate for U.S. president, um, and a philanthropist. Now, he had a vision of a, a grand New York library, um, but it was decided in the situations by those involved. Um, Astor Lennox and Tilden had passed away by this point. So the presidents of the trust and the two libraries got together and decided in those economic times, it was wiser to unite the libraries with the trust money um, and incorporate other libraries to make it as broad a library system as it is today. Mm. What were some of the other libraries, aside from Astor and Lennox libraries and, and the Tilden Trust, that, that would become part of the New York public? Well, you had a number of libraries growing up in New York already. The state, New York State has funded libraries very well for a very, very long time. And if you could prove, if you were incorporated as a library and can prove that you were free and open to all, and this was the real 19th century ideal, um, rather than the subscription libraries that preceded them, um, you could get money from the state to build collections. And they did. And there were libraries formed throughout New York County, um, Manhattan, for uh, various groups. There was a Catholic, a Catholic library formed, which is now a cathedral branch of our library. There were Jewish libraries. Aguilar was a Sephardic and a Spanish library. Maimonides was a Jewish library. Um, the Webster Library now, uh, which is now on, in, on York Avenue, was on 76th Street, and that was for the Czech community at the time. So these were all incorporated. Most importantly, I, I want to point out, though, um, the New York Free Circulating Library was incorporated into New York Public. They were founded in 1879 by women. And this was important and a change in what had come before. They had 11 branches at their peak, and that they included children's reading rooms. 
so this is the really the beginning. Um, Jennifer may have other more to add to this, but I believe the beginning of children's reading rooms in the city. Aside from a place where where one could read Keith, what were some of the other founding principles of the New York Public Library as far as what it offered the citizens of the city? Well, what you had with the Astra and Lennox libraries um, was the idea, again, um, against the subscription history. You know, we have the New York um, Society Library still exists since 1754. There's still a subscription library. Um, That wasn't as free and open as people wanted in the 19th century. It was not a symbol of what, what the city would be or the new republic should be. And so the idea of these free and open um, sources of information, of useful knowledge, if you will, um, is what both Astro and Lennox were about. They were not exactly as free and open as they had wanted to be or uh, had hoped to be. Um, But with New York public formation, what we have is a further step, not only in making it absolutely guaranteed free and open information for all but it's also not just a research library in the in the sense of you know science, history, humanities for scholars, um, but it would serve you all your life from childhood with the children's reading rooms to school to business life and professional life and beyond. Mm. What was the role of the famous steel magnate Andrew Carnegie in building and expanding the library system in New York? Well, the system was already put in place, New York, New York Public. Um, it's 1901 when Dr. John Shaw Billings, who was the director and of the New York Public Library and a librarian himself, um, he in fact wrote our, our original um, cataloging system, the billing system. Um, He contacted Carnegie, knowing what Carnegie was up to, and um, had asked him if he would get involved, and he was very happy to do so. Um, So there are 39 branches of the New York public out of our 92 locations that are due to Carnegie's generosity. Wow. Well, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Keith Gluting of the New York Public Library. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? 
I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. to Rediscovering New York and our special episode about New York City's amazing public libraries. My first guest is Keith Gluting. He's the manager of Visitor Volunteer Services at the Public Library. Keith, um, we can't speak about the New York Public Library without talking about its main branch, which is one of the most magnificent buildings in the whole city, that Beaux-Arts Rock right in the, on, on 42nd Street and 5th Avenue. When was the Central Library, the main branch, conceived? Oh, here we are. <laughs> May 23, 1895 is when the library was incorporated. And um, it's only two years later. And as I said before, it began their office work. Administration was done in the Astor Library, now the public theater. It was decided they needed a large and new uh, structure. The Lennox Library up on 70th Street was for them too far north. Where the Astor Library was was too far south. They wanted something central, and something came to help. The Croton Reservoir or the Mary Hill Reservoir um, on 42nd Street and 5th Avenue was going to be decommissioned. Everyone was scrambling for that site. And um, the library managed to get that. Now, remember, Samuel Jones Tilden was governor of New York, and John Bigelow, who would be the first president of the library, was his secretary of state of New York State. This was then state property. I think they had more clout than other. I know the Metropolitan Museum wanted that site also. Um, so that's the very beginning um, they commission, and of course, this is Dr. John Shaw Billings and friends, um, Carrere and Hastings to do the design. There was a, there was a competition, McKimmead and White, for whom McKin, uh, Carrere and Hastings worked, um, who had designed the Boston Public Library um, that opened in 1895. Uh, they were part of the competition, but Carrere and Hastings won it. Um, they were doing what Dr. Billings wanted and doing it in the way he wanted. Um, Fundamental to that is where the reading room was. Now, picture Fifth Avenue. This is the most crowded time in New York's history. To open windows on 42nd Street and Fifth Avenue and get any reading done was impossible in those days. It's not easy now. Of course, we have the windows closed and air conditioned. What Dr. Billings wanted um, for two reasons was the reading room to be not as you walk in, which is typical, but on the top floor in the back, facing Bryant Park, where there was light and air and relative calm, and it worked. 
And the beauty of being on the top floor is they put the original stacks directly underneath the room. So the books could be delivered by elevator um, directly straight up to the reading room from the old storage, the old stacks. Still great to see that system of conveyor belts of books you put in, you fill in your ticket. Although I haven't gotten a book in a while. Maybe it's all uh, computerized now, but uh, you'd fill out a ticket and then uh, um, the, bo- the book would show up at some point after that. The, what, the reading room now, well, the two things. The collection is absolutely enormous now. Um, the stacks could hold two and a half million items. We have about 56 million items in the collections today. So we have storage um, but underneath the park, underneath the Bryant Park that was renovated in 1988 or 89, opened. Um, we, and we can fit about four and a half million items there. Um, importantly, for that concept of storage, uh, we share storage with Princeton University, Columbia University, and now Harvard in an off-site storage facility in Princeton, New Jersey that we call RECAP. And the beauty of that in the modern library world is that you are not duplicating collections and all four institutions can borrow from that storage area with a shared catalog. So it's going to sound like a mundane question. If someone goes in and and wants to look at a particular book, is there a decent chance that it's not going to actually be uh, on location at the time that someone goes in and and wants to, to read it? Well, you can do the catalog online at home before you even show up. But we're more than happy to help you if you do just come on site. Um, we keep on site at the Schwarzman Building. Now, this is the Humanities Library, essentially. Um, the oldest, newest, and most requested items, and others are elsewhere. Now, I should point out, I didn't make it clear that there are four research libraries in the system. The Science, Industry, and Business Library Um is separate and will reopen as the business library in our new building across the street. The performing arts library is at Lincoln Center next to the Metropolitan Opera and the Schomburg Center for Research in Black Culture is on 135th Street and Malcolm X Boulevard. Um, so it's the things are divided, but we'll find it for you. If it's off-site, things will be delivered in a business day or electronic document delivery is available. Wow. And this is all free to the public just by getting a good old library card. Absolutely. Mm. Free, free, free. <laughs> uh, although you, uh, uh, I am a member of the New York Public Library and I have donated. So I do want to make a pitch uh, that uh, our uh, listeners, uh, not even in New York, but around the world can support the library at nypl.org. Is that uh Absolutely. That's our portal to the world. Mm. You can find out anything you want at nypl.org. It's a real simple thing to do and sign up nypl.org connect and we'll be sending you newsletters all the time keith aside from the the way that books were stored under the reading room under the main reading room and delivered um were there any other revolutionary architectural or fun or functional aspects of the main branch when it was built that's the primary thing I would say. Well, actually, there's, here's a great story. We had a pneumatic tube system we used to deliver call slips. And um, I think it's missing a tube now, but I, I believe it's functional. I'd love to use it for something else. And <laughs> call slips were delivered from the catalog room, mm. which is the ante room before the Rose main reading room. 
and they would shoot into the stacks and down pages would find the materials and send them up on the elevators. Um, you may have, there was rumor of them roller skating the pages roller skating in the stacks, but that's from a Francis Ford Coppola movie called you're a big boy. Now uh. <laughs> rip torn is a rare books librarian and his son is a page on roller skates. So definite must see. I'd like it to talk about the lions. Um, sure. Were sure. the lions part of the original design and, and what are their names? What do they stand for? Absolutely. They're part of the, I mean, they're, they're a classic Beaux-Arts feature. They're designed by Edward Clark Potter, uh, but carved by the Pichirilli brothers, um, Italian immigrants who had a studio in the Bronx and were responsible for a great number of public commissions in New York City. Um, and we have the Pichirilli family papers at the library now, so those willing to do some more research on them um, are willing to do it. The lions are made of pink Tennessee marble, and they were installed right about the time we opened. Today, they have books. They're reading books, if anyone's been passed or seen pictures of them. It's the library's 125th anniversary, so the, the patience and fortitude of their names um, have books, um, and they're reading. Mm. They were named, so the story goes, by Mayor LaGuardia, um, Fiorella LaGuardia. When he was mayor during the Great Depression, um, he felt these were qualities New Yorkers needed to get through the tough times. Um, mm. Prior to that, they had a, a variety of names, but patience and fortitude stuck, and they are still our patience and fortitude. And they were, had, went through conservation last year. They look great. Mm. I remember the uh, recent the time I was in front of the library. They were you couldn't see them because they had scaffolding around them. So they were. Uh, uh, That's they were being cleaned and and propped up for better times so with patience and fortitude yeah. <laughs> um you know you've you've taken people countless people throughout throughout that incredible building i want to ask you a personal question um what are some of your favorite parts of the schwartzman building and 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 which you uh to our listeners who would go in maybe even the first time um, to tell people not to miss, to go in and look for, so they can experience uh, in the in well. The building. It, the building is is beautiful. The two two of the reading rooms on the first floor, uh, the periodicals room, which has a great history unto itself, also has murals in it and windows um, onto Fifth Avenue and Fortieth Street. The murals are by Richard Haas, and they depict the great publishing houses of New York City in historic views. Those were added in 1983. The map room, everyone loves maps, and it's a gorgeous room. It's on the Fifth Avenue and 42nd Street, and, um, and also re that was renovated in 2005. It's in incredible shape. Um, upstairs, I, one, people don't always go to the Solomon Room 316 on the third floor has a collection of paintings. I didn't mention the Lennox Library was also a museum, an art museum, it's actually was the first museum on Museum Mile. Um, no longer there, unfortunately. But um, the painting collection came to the library. Much of it has been turned into library materials, uh, sold off over the years. But those paintings that relate to the collections remain. And so that's there. There are remarkable um, paintings. You have um, not only the Astor and Lennox families, but painting of you have Truman Capote and, and John Quinn and other great New York figures. 
You know, um, in the minute or so we have left, I wanted to ask you about some special programming that the New York Public Library is undertaking in the age of, of COVID. How can people be connected to the great resource and the great um, things that, that New York Public Library provides for the city without having to actually be physically present to do so? Sure. Um, well, first off, uh, I would check our website for the blogs, which are coming out daily and very much addressing issues that come that crop up day to day. Um, recently, because of the Black Lives Matter movement, the Schomburg Center has put together a Black Liberation Reading List, which is really important to get all viewpoints, and they are the experts on this. Our science industry and business library has been helping people with, um, tremendously online with career and resilience coaching, Medicare coaching, virtual career fairs, financial counseling, tax smart retirement, all of those kind of things they're looking for. Um, we have reader services going on. There, there's so much. I, I would get on our website and at nypl.org again and uh, start looking around under events or blogs to start. And our events, our event, our event group is still working. We've been doing it virtually now. Um, NY, live from NYPL is, is ongoing. Um, great stuff. And I assume you're also uh, being the manager of the library's visitor volunteer program that you do have volunteers or will have again once the, once the building opens up to the public. I write to my volunteers every weekday. Oh. <laughs> we have 1,200 in the system. I uh, personally work with about 80 um, in the information desks. And um, I hope, I don't think I've lost anyone yet. Oh, wow. Well, Keith, thank you. Our first guest on the special episode of Rediscovering New York about our city's great public library has been Keith Gluting. He's the manager of the Visiting Volunteer Program at the Schwartzman Building at the Library. Keith, thank you so much. Thank you. Um, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to speak with our second guest, who is with us from the Brooklyn Public Library. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day. Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. I'm the aptly named host of Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio, big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. 
fundraising, board relations, social media. My guests and I cover everything that small and mid-sized shops struggle with. If you have big dreams and a small budget, you have a home at Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Fridays, 1 to 2 Eastern at TalkingAlternative.com. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. back and you're back to rediscovering new york support for the program comes from our sponsors christopher pappas mortgage specialist at td bank to find out how chris can help you with all your residential home mortgage needs and tailor a mortgage that's right for you please give chris a call at 203-512-3918 and support also comes from the law offices of thomas siaka specializing in wills estate planning probate and inheritance litigation Tom and his staff can be reached at 212-495-0317. Our show is about mixtures of this amazing city. There's another great show on the air about New York and specifically about the business of real estate. Good Morning New York with Vince Rocco, my friend and colleague at Halstead. Vince's show airs live on Tuesday mornings at 9 a.m. You can hear him on voiceamerica.com and also on podcast. You can like this show on Facebook, and you can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter. My handles there are Jeff Goodman NYC. If you have comments or questions, or if you'd like to get on our mailing list, please email me, Jeff at rediscoveringnewyork.nyc. One other note before we get to our second guest, even though Rediscovering New York is not a show about the real estate business in New York, when I'm not on the air, I am indeed a real estate agent in our amazing city where I help my clients buy, sell, lease, and rent property. If you or someone you care about is considering a move into, out of, or within New York, I would love to help you with all those real estate needs. You can reach me and my team at 646-306-4761. Our second guest is Jennifer Thompson. Jennifer is the Assistant Director of the Central Library at the Brooklyn Public Library. Over the course of her 12 years in public library service, she has managed multiple grants, managed and coached teens and staff, and coordinated services for young adults at two large urban public library systems. Jennifer Thompson, a hearty welcome to Rediscovering New York. Jen, I don't think you are unmuted. All right. There am you I are. unmuted now? Here I am. You hello, are. Hello. How are you? Good. How are you? Another hearty I welcome. Hearty yes, welcome to yes. Rediscovering New York. <laughs> are, are you originally from New York, Jen? I am not. I was born and raised in a suburb of Denver called Arvada in Colorado. Wow. When did you decide that you wanted to only wow, because a lot of people are from the East Coast. When did you uh, decide to move to New York and what and what had you say? I got to I got to I got to go there. Yeah, um, I would say it was I was pretty firm on the idea back in high school. Um, I realized that the bright lights in big city were made for me. And so I ended up um, going to New York when I was in my, my early 20s. I moved out in 2003 without a job, which is, you know, the best way to move to New York is without a job. Um, quickly started temping, um, found my way into a few jobs out here, and then 
um, really started thinking about what do I want to do with my life? I, um, I, I had worked for a, a variety of corporations and quickly realized like, uh, corporations aren't for me. I was like, what do I love? And I really had to analyze that. I sort of had that, that, that early midlife career crisis. Um, and I realized I've always loved libraries. I love what they stand for. Uh, I love the people who work in libraries. I love helping people. Uh, and so I started thinking, you know, maybe I should go back and get my master's in library science. Um, it, it had just never really occurred to me that that I should go back to school and 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 do something like that. And just serendipitously, like around within that day that I decided I was going to go back, I found out that Pratt Institute, um, they have a school of information science. They were having an open house like within. Yeah, I see. Keep doing thumbs up. Yeah. <laughs> within about a, Then about a day, I, th- I found out they had an open house and I was like going and I went and I was like. This is this is the path for me. I'm going to go back and get my degree and start working in libraries. Was your first gig in library science at the at the Brooklyn Public Library? It was. It was indeed. Yeah, like right after I graduated, I would say within about 2 months, I got a job at Brooklyn Public Library as a young adult librarian in their Greenpoint branch. Oh. Well, being at the Central Library was not your first position at the library. Did you did you get to the Central Library after after Greenpoint, or did you uh, go to other venerable branches of the of, of the system before you you wound up in Grand Army Plaza? Yeah, I did. I um, you know, I would I would go to Central frequently for trainings and meetings. Um, but before I wound up at Central permanently, I was at the Kings Highway branch. Um, Kings Highway had undergone a renovation, and I was. Uh, I, I was I went over there in order to to help them kind of reimagine and like open up uh, the King's Highway branch after it had been renovated. And that was a really interesting thing to be a part of. So I was at King's Highway for a little bit and then an opportunity arose to run this really amazing grant funded program at the Central Library. And I was like, oh, got to take it. So that's when I ended up at the Central Library. And um, I ever since I've been uh, at Central um, since that grant, that's that's my home. That's where I've been on, on a variety of roles. Oh, well. Before we talk about uh, more about the, the the Brooklyn Public Library as an institution and mm-hmm. that magnificent building on Grand Army Plaza, um, uh, I want to talk briefly about the history of public libraries in Brooklyn for our listeners. Um, the public libraries in Brooklyn actually predate the founding of the Brooklyn Public Library. Um, in 1824, which was, I think, even before John Jacob Astor <laughs> founded his library, um, there was a library established called the Apprentices Library. That was founded to educate apprentices of Brooklyn's artisans and craftsmen. Uh, interestingly, this first free library grew to become the Brooklyn Museum as well as the foundation for the Brooklyn Children's Museum. In 1852, several prominent Brooklyn citizens, which, by the way, Brooklyn was its own city until... 1898, and was actually the third largest city in the United States. In 1852, several prominent citizens established the Brooklyn Athenaeum and Reading Room for the instruction of young men. Women were not included in, in those days, sadly. Um, it was, it was this, uh, the practice at, in those times, it was a private subscription library for members. Um, 
the Mercantile Library Association of the City of Brooklyn established its first branch, a business library in Brooklyn Heights in 1857. And in 1869, the Mercantile Library and the Athenium pooled their collections and moved to a new building at 197 Montague Street. It was called the Montague Street Branch Library. And in 1878, the library associations were renamed the Brooklyn Public Library. But it was not the first free library in Brooklyn open to the public. As Jen will tell you, the first free library was that of the Pratt Institute, where she got her degree (laughs) in library science. Um, It was a collegiate institute founded by Charles Pratt in 1888, and it's based in Clinton Hill. Um, But one of the great things about that institution when it was founded was it made its library available not only for its own students and faculty, but it was open to the general public, which was really great. You usually don't find that with university and college museums. Um, The Brooklyn Public Library System was approved by an act of the legislature on May 1st, 1892, which actually makes it a few years older than the formation of the New York Public Library. Sorry about that, Keith. (laughs) Brooklyn Common Council. Brooklyn was first in something. I'm a native Brooklynite. I have to to bask in that that stuff. Um, The Brooklyn uh, Common Council passed a resolution for the establishment of the Brooklyn Public Library on November 30th, and its first director was Marie E. Craigie. And so, um, the Brooklyn Public Library is actually not a city institution. It's a private nonprofit that's funded by the city. Um, one of the things about the history of the public of the, um, uh, Brooklyn Public Library, like New York Public Library, Andrew Carnegie funded a number of branches of the public library. Uh, Jen, I'd like to talk a little about that magnificent central branch that you are the assistant director of. Um, you know, I have to, uh, for a moment, talk about your personal uh, experience. I'm a native of Brooklyn, and uh, I started going to the main branch of the Brooklyn Public Library when I was in seventh grade. And it really, as, as an institution for me, it birthed an incredible love of things that you could get in libraries. There was no electronic media in those days, even even pulling out copies of paintings from, I forgot that room, but it was on the right when you came uh, in through the, through the main entrance. Um, the history of the Central Library is really interesting, especially the architectural history. Um, when was it conceived, and, and, and do, we, do you know why the, the main branch wasn't there originally? Um, no, I don't know that information, um, but I know that the ground was broken in 1912, um, and it was actually originally designed as a Beaux-Arts building. So if you you know look at our neighbors down the street at the Brooklyn Museum, it was originally uh, conceived as, as a building that looked like that. And then um, after ground was broken, you know, there was a pretty significant pause that happened. Um, we had World War One, we had the Depression, so it was like all right, we need to pause on this. And uh, back in 1930, um, we hired a a new library president and a chief librarian, and they worked with the Brooklyn Borough President Ingersoll to uh, change the the design to what we currently see. Um, Which is behind me. Am I reverberating here on the... uh, Well, anyway, um, it... uh, uh, for our listeners who can see us on, on Facebook Live, it's the facade of the library. It's this beautiful Art Deco structure. And uh, the, the main door actually is, uh, is in an Egyptian theme. Yeah, and you know what's interesting is I also thought it was, uh, I kept calling it um, uh, moder- or, or, uh, Art Deco as well, but I really, I think it's actually Deco Modern. 
I, w- I was doing some oh. research on it. And so like Art Deco has a has a vertical emphasis and Art Modern has a horizontal. So I think it's more Art, art Modern. So I was like, oh, I learned something new every day about this library. Um, so yeah, so that, that they, they switched to a little bit more of a modern look, uh, pun intended, of course. And um, it also helped them cut costs when they went with this model. And then the library that you see behind you uh, it was actually open to the public on February 1st, 1941. I have, you know, I, um, Sam, do you want to check the sound? I'm getting some reverberation on, uh, well, now it's gone. Sorry, everybody. Um, I have to say from a design standpoint, um, as magnificent as the New York Public Library is, I'm so glad that the Beaux-Arts style didn't also come to the main bench of the Brooklyn because we have such a very different style mm-hmm. and one that's also very fitting for our listeners who don't know. Um, the main brand, the central library of the Brooklyn, Brooklyn Public Library is on Grand Army Plaza, which to me, and again, this is my Brooklyn prejudice coming out, it's, it has to be the most beautifully designed intersection in the whole city. It looks like uh, a little bit like Paris with the Soldier and Sailors Monument there. And off to one side on uh, the entrance of Prospect Park is this incredible art modern structure in this several story high gate that looks like you're coming into a pyramid. It's, mm. uh, it's really extraordinary. Um, the Brooklyn Public Library is also one of the largest public library systems in the country. I think it's the fifth largest library. And one of the things that I was really pleased to find out, Jen, is that Brooklyn is 64 square miles, which I knew, but that most of the borough's population lives within a half mile of a branch of the library. Mm-hmm. And the American Library Association recently ranked the Brooklyn Public Library third in the nation among public libraries for public programs offered and program attendance. I want to ask you a little bit about that uh, in our next segment. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to continue our discussion with Jennifer Thompson, who's the Assistant Director of the Brooklyn Public Library. We'll be back in a moment. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. I'm the aptly named host of Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Fundraising, board relations, social media. My guests and I cover everything that small and mid-sized shops struggle with. If you have big dreams and a small budget, you have a home at Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Fridays, 1 to 2 Eastern at TalkingAlternative.com. you a conscious co-creator are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness i'm sam Leibowitz, your conscious consultant and on my show the conscious consultant hour awakening humanity we will touch upon all these topics and more listen live at our new time on thursdays at 12 noon eastern time that's the conscious consultant hour awakening humanity thursdays 12 noon on talkradio.nyc TalkingAlternative.com 
We're back to Rediscovering New York and our very special episode about New York's fantastic public libraries. Um, before we get back to our second guest, I do want to do a plug for another show, especially now. Uh, starting this Wednesday at 12 p.m., that's tomorrow, uh, on talkradio.nyc, you can hear the Glass House Festival. It's poetry from around the world by Art Mantram Trust. It was conceived in response to the physical isolation of artists and audiences world over who love poetry. Aside from giving this wonderful platform of expressionism, we also envision raising funds to support the migrants and dispossessed whose suffering goes unabated. The online program includes recitative poetry, slam poetry, close readings of poems, poems in translation, regional language poetry, poems of protest, resistance and empowerment, poems on the environment, panel discussions, workshops and performances, and allied arts. You can hear it on Wednesday is at 12 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. Jen, I'd like to talk about the collections uh, of the Brooklyn Public Library. Uh, there are some pretty impressive collections that the, that the, that the library houses. Do you want to talk about a couple of them? Absolutely. We have a variety of um, different collections and, you know, it's, it's designed in a different way than, than our branches. We, we basically have wings with collections in them. Um, we've got the Youth Wing, which is a, an amazing resource that has a huge collection of children's and young adult books. Uh, we have a section called Language and Literature, which houses uh, a tremendous amount of our, our fiction books, which is definitely the most popular, and it's the most uh, checked out section of the library. And it also houses um, books in other languages. It houses about 30 other uh, books in about 30 other languages, which is really, really amazing. Um, and then, of course, we have sections of the library that uh, aren't as focused on the collections, um, or, or but also have like a an other spin on it. Like we have what's called an information commons. That's where we have a, a lot of our computers, like iMacs and PCs, and a recording studio as well. Um, and we have what's called a, a business and career center, where where we have books and materials on business, career, test prep, finance college planning, and we have librarians that will work directly one-on-one -on -one with you. Um, two of the more interesting collections that, that we have at Central that I, I think are really unique um, have to do with music. We have an orchestra collection at the Central Library um, that offers full scores and parts to amateur and professional organizations. And we also have what is a, called the Music Instrument Lending Library. So we loan music instruments to people, um, and currently we have percussion, string, and electric string instruments. Wow. Do you have any tubas? <laughs> I don't believe we do, but don't quote me on that. <laughs> okay. Good idea for an endowment. Um, you know, that really is an incredible building, and it... Uh, it's a little bit, um, it can be a little deceiving from the front because it goes out at an angle. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I don't want you to get on the bad side of any of the people whom you lead or manage at the Central Library, but but what are some of the more interesting and fun places that you find? Uh, maybe Ooh. even nooks and crannies in the, in the Central Library. Oh, I love talking about nooks and crannies at the Central Library. Well, first, uh, before we dive into that, one interesting thing about it, like you were talking about the shape, it's actually shaped like an open book. Uh, if you look at it from the top, it's it's like that's there's the spine and the two wings are like the two pages of an open book. So it's so it's a really interesting uh, design to it. But inside, uh, we have 
four levels of what we call decks below the central library where we house a lot of our collections. Um, and one of the things that, that we learned about it is that there is a section on one of the decks that we believe is rumored to be, it's never been confirmed, but rumored to be a subway platform. That a subway was possibly going to be going underneath and there might've been a platform there. Nobody's been able to confirm it, but I just like talking about it because I'm like, oh, I think that's a really <laughs> neat thing. Cause you know, it could possibly be a subway platform. Um, so that so the decks are, are are a really fascinating area to 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 go down and just think that we have these four levels uh, below the library that are full of books. You know, as a subway aficionado, I might guess that it might be uh, either the two or the three line. But knowing how they're further out on Eastern Parkway, maybe uh, uh, they had intended to put a platform there for the Brighton line, which goes under uh, under that street. Yeah, I mean, I, I we really have no idea. It's just, it's, it's just like kind of, kind of a fun rumor where it's like, was it supposed to be a subway station? We don't know. The, there are three public library systems in New York. We have the Brooklyn Public Library, the New York Public Library, and also the Queens Public Library system. Um, what's the relationship between the Brooklyn Public Library and the other two library systems? Some people would think, well, it's New York. You should have one public library system. But we actually have three, and we have them mm -hmm. for historical reasons. But you collaborate. You share resources. Mm -hmm. You know, what, what are some of the ways that you, that you support each other and collaborate? Sure. So um, one, one sort of fun little fact is that when we talk about the three library systems, we call it tri for the, the three library systems. So if you ever hear that referred to, you know it's about the three library systems. Um, and we collaborate uh, quite a bit on programs and partnerships. We work together quite frequently um, with New York Public in specific, because Keith's on the call and I'd like to you know, focus on, on what other Keith stuff's done. Um, we, have two, we have two that I'd really like to highlight. The first one is um, we collaborate on a summer reading program for kids and teens. Um, this year, the theme is Imagine Your Story. So we work together on selecting books and coming up with, with fun things that kids and teens can do during the summer. Um, and we've been doing that for a very long amount of time. Um, and we also have what's called Book Ops. Uh, book Ops is, is short for Book Operations. And it's, it's a joint operation system with NYPL uh, that acquires, prepares, and delivers new items for our circulating collections. Um, and ironically, it's housed in Queens, but Queens isn't a part of Book Ops. So it's in Long Island City. Uh, well, yay for Queens, and it's, uh, which is actually the largest borough in the city. It's, uh, I think, clocks in at about 90 square miles. Um, what is, I asked Keith this question earlier about the New York Public Library, in, in the present environment of, of, of COVID, um, what kind of programming have you been providing that's, that, that's virtual, that people don't need to actually visit a library to take advantage of? You know, it's really interesting. We have such amazingly creative staff that they have figured out ways to host programs either through their homes or wherever they might be staying, but, but keep the same sort of programs alive. Um, you know, they, they found ways to do toddler yoga from home. Uh, they've found ways to engage with patrons on training them on different databases. Um, recently, we had a read with a therapy dog program. So, so they've really found ways to be like, all right, we still want to engage with our patrons. We still want to make sure that the community knows that we're here, we're doing fun programs. 
And, and they've just really transitioned so seamlessly to an online platform. It's been really amazing to see. And the same with our virtual reference program. You know, we, we, we aren't able right now to meet with people one-on-one in person. So we've segued to doing virtual reference. And it's really been amazing to, to be able to keep in contact with, with our patrons um, on a virtual platform and give them the information that they need. Mm. Well, if any of our listeners want to find out more about the programming of the Brooklyn Public Library or to potentially become donors and supporters, because like the New York Public Library, you're a nonprofit and you rely on the support of the generosity of your members and other donors. How can people find out about your programming and potentially become involved with the, with the library? Visit brooklynlibrary.org and that's B-K-L-Y-N library.org and you'll be able to find everything that we're doing and all the information you need. We got you. Great. Well, thank you, Jen. Uh, Our second guest on this special show uh, on New York City's great public libraries has been Jennifer Thompson. She's the assistant director of the Brooklyn Public Library and manages and leads the central branch, which you can find at Grand Army Plaza. If you have comments or questions about the show, or if you'd like to get on our mailing list, please email me, jeff at rediscoveringnewyork.nyc. You can like us on Facebook, Rediscovering New York with Jeff Goodman, and also can follow me on Instagram and Twitter. My handles there are jeffgoodmannyc. Once again, I'd like to thank our sponsors, Chris Pappas, mortgage banker at TD Bank, and the law offices of Tom Siaka. One more thing before we sign off. I'm Jeff Goodman, a real estate agent in Halstead in New York City. And whether you're selling, buying, leasing, or renting, my team and I provide the best service and expertise in New York City real estate. To help you with your real estate needs, you can reach us at 646-306-4761. Our producer is Ralph Storier. Our engineer is Sam Leibowitz. Our special consultant is David Griffin of Landmark Branding, who'll be back on the show next week. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. I'm the aptly named host of Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio, big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Fundraising, board relations, social media, my guests and I cover everything that small and mid-sized shops struggle with. If you have big dreams and a small budget, you have a home at Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Fridays, 1 to 2 Eastern at TalkingAlternative.com. Hey, all you crazy listeners, looking to boost your business? 
Why not advertise on Talking Alternative with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply email at info at talkingalternative.com. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Listening to the Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day. Talking Alternative. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. 